On this Christ the King Sunday, our gospel text is from the 10th chapter of Mark. Mark is kind of built like a a mountain in structure. The first half is Jesus coming on the scene and healing and teaching, and then there's the transfiguration, and he sets his face for Jerusalem and his last week, and this is part of that. Peter began to say to him, look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. They were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. He took the twelve aside again and began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and they will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit upon him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise again. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to Jesus, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. And Jesus said to them, What is it that you want me to do for you? And they said, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, we are able. Then Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The word of the Lord. I want to spend a few minutes today reflecting with you on humility and joy arising out of these texts. It's so easy to underestimate the power of humility, and it's so easy in this world of ours to misunderstand joy and what a world we are living in right now. Since no service of worship is an island to itself, uh, no worship is in a protective bubble, I would ask us this morning to reflect on humility and joy on a Sunday when we are focused through Matthew's market downstairs on our mission and outreach efforts as a church. 
I'd ask us to reflect on humility and joy on this 12th day after an election that everyone seems to still be talking about, some in anticipation and expectation and others in grief and pain. I would like us to reflect on humility and on joy on this Sunday, which the church has named Christ the King Sunday. Today, we proclaim Christ ruler of all. The world would beg to differ. The world knows what power looks like. Power for our world does not look at all like humility and joy. I would like us to consider humility and joy as the two largely unnamed but persistent themes in our text today from Colossians and from Mark. In Christ, all things hold together, Colossians says. Really? Most days, either we believe that things are not holding together or we believe they will only hold together with our great work, hard work, and our ingenuity. Seth Godin recently wrote, the magic wand store is closed. It's fun to imagine what we would do if we had a magic wand, something that we could wave and produce the introduction, the funding, the open door, the technology, the breakthrough, the insight, the inspiration, the shortcut. They stopped making magic wands a millennia ago. Scripture has a very different view of magic wands. Colossians says, may you be made strong with all the strength that comes from God's glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to God. That's Scripture's view of how things hold together. We humbly receive what only God can give us, nothing that we can produce on our own, and we live into joy. Joy is not the same thing as happiness. Joy has a capacity to include grief and fear, both which many of our neighbors are feeling on this morning. Joy can come to us in a mountaintop experience, but also when we roll up our sleeves to work alongside our mission partners. Joy never turns away from the deepest need or the most piercing pain. Joy is living in to the purposes of God with open hands and with an open heart. Joy is working each day as our prime purpose and motive to imagine that the kingdom of God really is at hand, even when all outward appearances mock that vision. That, for Scripture, is how all things hold together. Methodist Bishop William Willimon has written, the needs of this world are too great, the suffering and pain too extensive, the lures of this world too seductive for us to begin to change the world unless we are changed, unless conversion of life and morals becomes our pattern. The status quo is too alluring. It's in the air we breathe, the food we eat, the news we consume. It's in our institutions and our theologies and our politics. The only way we shall break its hold on us is to be transferred to another dominion, to be cut loose from our old certainties and put ourselves under the rule of Christ. I don't know if any of you know Nadia Bowles-Weber. She is a Lutheran pastor. 
She's six foot one. She was a former bodybuilder and stand-up, stand-up comic. She has arms that are tattoo sleeves. She's pastor of a Lutheran church in Denver called the Church of All Sinners and Saints. Her church is a traditional Lutheran church, Lutheran liturgy, Lutheran hymnals, Lutheran prayers, Eucharist every Sunday, but it gathers the most unlikely congregation, mostly people who would not feel at home in any other church, mostly people who've been left out or overlooked by everybody else. Many who gather for worship there are hanging by a thread in their own spiritual life. Nadia was recently asked, what holds all that together as a church? And she responded, the Holy Spirit is subversive. And one of the things the Spirit does is blur lines that we're so comfortable and invested in maintaining. My experience has been that we like to have these lines of liberal and conservative, theologically and socially, I think that people, especially the younger generation, have experienced those lines becoming really blurry, and they're fine with that. I'm at the point in my life, Nadia says, where I don't want to be part of a fundamentalism of the left or of the right, mostly because it lacks two things that I can't do without in my life or my faith anymore, which is joy and humility. I don't see a lot of joy and humility, she says, in these extreme stances that people take on either side. So I feel that the spirit moves in the blurring of those distinctions that we all so care about. Every time you meet somebody who's in a category, conservative, liberal, hateful, narrow-minded, fill in the blank, when you meet someone like that, there's a connection that's made, and then we have to rethink the whole category. That is the work of the Spirit. I think it's interesting, she says, that people dismiss the being spiritual but not religious thing. My business card for the church says, we're religious but not spiritual. The yearning that people have is for something that's more than 20 minutes old. There's very little in our visual field that is older than 50 years. I reject the premise I often hear in progressive Christianity that in order to be down with multiculturalism and peace and social justice, you have to jettison the Bible and Jesus. I think those are the only two things we have going for us. And so here is Jesus. His face turned toward Jerusalem in the second half of the Gospel of Mark. You know, people throughout the Gospels often ask Jesus to do lots of things. He was on his way to Jerusalem in the last days leading up to his arrest, and a blind man named Bartimaeus was sitting by the road and shouted at him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus came up and said, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, I want to see. And the man regained his sight. There was a leader in the synagogue whose daughter was dying And he went to Jesus and he asked him, would you do something for me? Would you come and save my daughter? And Jesus went and raised his daughter from the dead. Matthew tells about a centurion who comes to Jesus and asks, would you do something for me? Would you heal my slave? And Jesus does it. People came asking for Jesus' aid and assistance and he offered it so generously in return all the way through the gospels which is why James and John's request is so jarring. 
Jesus has been teaching them about the way of discipleship, the way of humility and joy. Jesus has told the disciples they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him. Those who want to save their life must lose it, Jesus said, and those who lose it will save it. Those words are still hanging in the air around the disciples when James and John come asking for just a small favor. Uh, When you come into your kingdom, they wonder, can we get upgraded seats to the left and to the right of you? What part of joy and humility didn't they understand? That all four Gospels repeatedly record this instruction, said Fred Craddock, is not only an argument that these sayings represent the authentic tradition of Jesus, but it also testifies to the widespread and persistent condition of a church that remained enamored with power and position. And Jesus' words continue to be difficult to hear and obey today. James and John are looking for the prize. They're looking for the finish line. They're looking for the trophy. They're not looking at the race that lies before them. They're looking for some sort of magic wand. And therein lies the problem. Because disciples cannot get from here to there without walking the difficult way, following where Jesus leads day in, day out, with every step they take. Suppose, just suppose for a moment, that Jesus were here with us now in the exact same way he was there with James and John, that we, Jesus was really present and we could actually hear what he was saying, speaking to us. And suppose we heard Jesus saying to each of us, if I ask you to do something, would you do it for me? And we'd be at, well, of course, Jesus. It's so nice of you to ask. What, what can I do for you? I would love that. What do you want me to do? And of course, because this is Jesus, We're thinking this is something big. You know, this is something great. This is something really important. This needs to get done, and we've been picked to do it. But there's one catch. Most of us are thinking something big, something really big. So we're thinking he's asking us to drink the cup he's offering us in one big dramatic gulp. But suppose we have to drink a cup that is not one single gulp, not take it all in and swallow it and say, yes, what do you want? But rather we have to sip from that cup of Jesus for the next 40 years to take up and follow Jesus with that cross for a lifetime. Not one dramatic moment Not one amazing service project. Not one big youth event. Not one mountaintop experience of faith. Not one stunning election. Not one heroic occasion where the photographers want our picture and the microphones are shoved in our faces for a quote. But instead, to do something pretty humble. Because they're such small sips. Humble acts of service and discipleship. Joy that builds through patient relationships of letting our categories get disrupted by this persistent, disruptive spirit of God. 
As our friend Ted Wardlaw has said about all this recently, sometimes drinking from Jesus' cup is not done in one great choking swallow, but in small sips that last a lifetime. Getting to sip from the cup for a lifetime, day by day, hour by hour, gives us all the time we need to develop hearts for those who are close to us and hearts for those who are far off. It gives us the time we need to deepen our faith. It gives us the time to approach ministry and mission and outreach as peers and not projects. It gives us kindness and gentleness to hear the pain and fear of those who today feel cast out. It affords us the time to filter out the harsh, unrelenting voices of our culture so enamored with power and who wins and who loses. It allows us a lifetime to embrace humility and joy as the way we live following Jesus. We all have to keep reminding ourselves that taking up a cross and following Jesus is a lifelong commitment. It's almost never one big gulp, but most days it is sipping the cup moment by moment of humility and joy. One of the pictures of the struggle for civil rights in this country that is most poignant was on our bulletin cover today. It's the Selma to Montgomery march after Bloody Sunday. Martin Luther King is leading the march. So many other leaders there, shoulder to shoulder, arms and hands locked. The photograph is taken just after an incident where there was a loud noise of some sort. Uh, whatever it was, it was a car backfiring, it was a shot, it was a bomb, they didn't know. But whatever it was, King is almost alone, keeping his eyes straight ahead. Do you notice that? Almost everyone else is naturally reacting to the sound, trying to find the origin of the supposed threat. Eyes straight ahead, no distractions, step by step, sip by sip, humility and joy doing God's hard work today. I do not need to tell you that humility and joy face an uphill battle today in our world. But step by step, sip by sip, followers of Jesus, us, are called to listen and to care and to heal and to do risky love. As Christians, we don't have any magic wand to do this. But step by step, sip by sip, eyes straight ahead, no distractions, we live into the reign of Christ our King. And how do we know what that kingdom, that reign is like? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
Put everything you are hearing, everything you are saying, everything you are thinking, everything you feel besieged by, everything you fear, everything you're rejoicing over, and put it alongside that. The wellspring of our hope. It is the place we stand against all in the world that would seek to tear us apart and tear our world apart. Step by step, sip by sip, use this to discover how to live and where to go in Jesus' name. As Christians, under the reign of Jesus Christ, we are to resist anything that pulls us away from these fruits of the Spirit and to work with all our vital powers to move toward them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Step by step, sip by sip, eyes forward.